Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 14th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that fully recognizes judges as the hardest working wizards around. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. Wizard Muppin, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James, and all of our listeners. Looking forward to another great episode with all sorts of great information for you. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, break down the segments for everybody today, please, and thank you. Well, James, this week we've got four segments. Our first segment is our top movers for the week. These are the cards that have seen the largest price increase in the last seven days. On the segment two will be our cards to watch. These are the cards James and I think have a chance of gaining value in the near future, near to long future to make you money. Segment three is our metagame week in review. This week we'll be looking at the Star City Columbus Invitational and also poking our head into the modern classic that ran alongside of that. And finally, segment four is our topic of the week. This week we'll be discussing the various outlets where you can buy and sell cards and the pros and cons of some of them. So let's dive right into segment one, our top movers at the bottom of the list. Uh, I'll start with this one because it's a car near and dear to my heart. It's Glittering Wish from Future Sight. Uh, this came in the week at $6, currently around $10, uh, and it's a pretty strong 10 too. I did not see any copies cheaper than that on TCG Player. Uh, that's a $4 gain for about a 66% increase. Uh, this card, for those of you that have been around for longer than a year or so, will know that this popped back uh, when Cons of Tarkir came out. There was a Jeskai Ascendancy combo deck that used Glittering Wish to search up its win condition. Uh, after that kind of fell apart, the card dropped back down to bulk status, or well, I shouldn't say bulk status, like 2 to $3 range. I know Travis Wu has been brewing with this card again recently. I see him mention it on Twitter occasionally. I don't know if there's more going on than that. Uh, but in any case, for any of us who have copies left over from the last time this spiked and didn't get a chance to get out then, this is a welcome return. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a tutor that can get any kind of card as long as it's multicolored. So it's that open-ended synergy that we love so much. Um, I'm not surprised in the slightest to see another pop on this one. Especially for future Sight Rare. Um, okay, well, how about uh, how about the next card, James? What have you got for us? So we had uh, Burgeoning out of Stronghold uh, make a move from 15 to $27 um, for an 80% gain. Um, it's a reserve list card, um, and the attention being put on the Gitrog monster is likely what has brought this to the forefront. Um, there was low supply online, and it looks like somebody made a move on it. All right. Uh, pretty, pretty simple there. Um Next up, we have Secure the Wastes from Dragons of Tarkir. Uh, this has been creeping up for a while now, but it looks like this week it made a pretty big move from 5 to 10, uh, with 5.50 to 10. So we're looking at 80 to 100% gain on this. Uh, it's a pretty big part of the standard metagame right now. Um, very popular in those lists. Not too surprising to see it here. Another valuable Dragons of Tarkir card. Uh, I do not like this going forward. Dragons of Tarkir is set to rotate in the fall with Magic Origins, so I would be looking to get out of these if I were you. 
Yeah, this is a card I actually expect to see occasional play in modern. It makes sense in black-white tokens and Abzan tokens, but those decks are, you know, tier 2, tier 3. Um, so at $10, uh, it's not that attractive. If it sinks back to, say, 2 or 3 in the fall, I could see it being something um, that might be worth another look. Um, but yeah, for now, it's definitely time to get off the train. And I want to point out, too, I believe this was in an intro deck. Uh, yeah, it, it was as a single copy, I believe. Um, but uh, as we've seen, any kind of a reasonable play pattern um, for a popular rare um, can overcome inclusion in supplementary products. Sure, sure. What's next? Uh, next on the list, we've got Prismatic Omen Foils, a Shadowmore rare um, popularized in uh, scapeshift lists. Um, there have been various versions of Scapeshift uh, over the years, and not all have used this card, but it has been coming back in popularity, and it's moved from $20 to $40 this week for a 100% gain. Um, you know, if you were in on these at any point in uh, previous spike cycles um, or speculation cycles, now might be a great time to be thinking about getting out. Yeah, and I should say that $40, I'm pretty sure, is my foil copy listed on TCG Player. The last time I looked, it was the only one on the market. So that really could have been any number. I don't know if these are selling uh, anywhere below 40 at this point. Um, one last quick mention on this is the non-foils popped too, although uh, they haven't managed to hit our list this week. Uh, Corbin Holzler brought up a really good point on the Cartel Aristocrats webcast that we do occasionally, that if you looked at the Pro Tour results from... Pro Tour Oath of the Gatewatch, you will have noticed that beyond the Eldrazi Menace, the Prismatic Omen Scapeshift builds actually performed extremely well. So that's a good lesson to go really go digging into uh, those Pro Tour lists and try and figure out uh, what is beneath the surface, because if you had picked up on that uh, and saw the Eldrazi ban coming, you would have recognized Prismatic Omen as, having, as going to break out after Eldrazi got banned. Um, okay, let's yeah, let's let's move along here. Knight of the White Orchid. Uh, I have from Origins. This is a non-foil copy. Went from three fifty to seven fifty for four dollars. That's about one hundred fifteen percent. The foil copies have moved as well. Um, in fact, last week this was on our list from jumping from two dollars to five dollars. So this card has basically not stopped. Uh, this is basically just all over standard. White is far and away the best color in standard right now. And if you're playing white, it's hard not to play Knight of the White Orchid. So even though this has got multiple printings, it's not a surprise to see this already up to $750. And depending on the Pro Tour, I would not be surprised to see this break $10. Yeah, it's entirely possible, especially depending on um, whether there is a breakout deck that is a response to the, you know, the aggro strategies. Um, largely it's been, um, you know, they've been coming to the forefront because the sweepers are both um, situational and non-definitive. Um, you know, sweeping away a couple, a couple of early creatures only to face an Avacyn or to walk your sweeper into an Avacyn is a terrible place to be. Um, and so the top end of their curve has been largely insulating them from what would usually be the counter-control strategies. Um, and we'll see where that end, you know, ends up once we've gotten to the Pro Tour results at the end of this weekend. All right. I like it. What's next for us? Talisman of Progress. Uh, both foils and non-foils have been on the move, but specifically the non-foils. Um, this is the blue-white talisman, I believe, um, moving from $2 to $4.50 this week for 125% gain. This is on the back of uh, refreshed play in Thopter decks that make uh, use of some of these to accelerate their board presence and also give uh, Tezzeret some targets to turn artifacts into 5-5s. Five 
Um, you know, a lot of these talismans have been on the move lately. Um, the blue-black talisman has already moved. Uh, another one of them shows up in my pick list this week. And it's largely because these uh, artifacts have never been reprinted um, and are hard to replace uh, with anything else. Yeah, and they've become especially relevant with the emergence of Eldrazi because they tap now for two colors and colorless. And it's a two-mana rock, right, that does that? So you get a lot of utility out of this. This is back from an era when Wizards' mana rocks were a little different than they are today. Yeah, and it's just clearly better because of that ability to generate colorless and also because the signets generate one of each of the colors, um, whereas this just gives you, you know, one of three possible colors tends to be a little bit more flexible um, in terms of what you're getting out of it. And it's the preferred uh, mana rock in most of the lists that want those things in modern right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Uh, next up is Reshape. Uh, we're looking at the Darksteel. Uh, this is from Darksteel. We're looking at the foil copies. We've we've seen a jump from 6 to 15. Uh, that's a $9 gain, about 150%. Reshape, uh, for those of you that have been around for about two years, will remember that this was a big part of the eggs decks in Modern, that uh, when Second Sunrise got banned a while ago, Reshape, you sacrifice it, you two in an X and you sacrifice an artifact and you go find another artifact. It was very useful for tutoring up uh, Lotus Blooms in the past, but now we're seeing it come to the front. I'm assuming in response, uh, to, again, to the Sword of the Meek and Thopter Foundry, all of these fringe cards have been popping in response to that combo being legal. There are not many foil copies of this. This is uh, one of the, this is the oldest modern legal block. Uh, so supply is at its absolute lowest for cards from this era. Uh, so not, not really surprised to see reshape on this list. And uh, I don't think this price will probably decline much, even if it doesn't see much play. Yeah, so reshape is definitely a card that's been on my radar for a long time as, you know, the tutors are always, uh, uh, tutors often represent uh, open-ended synergy. And uh, I'm not surprised at all, given uh, the popularity of Thopter Sword testing, um, to see this making a move, um, given that Dark Steel is several years old and there aren't a lot of foils lying around. This is the wrong instant speed blue Dark Steel rare that references artifacts to have spiked because I have a bunch of retracts, not reshapes. So if you guys are going to buy anything out, do retracts for me, will you, please? <laughs> So the final card on our the top of our list this week is Killer Bees out of the Legend set. Killer Bees is the latest in a long line of old school magic cards to pop. It's not a reserve list card, um, but this is the original Black Border printing of the card. And uh, as uh, a flyer that can be pumped uh, in old school magic uh, to win games kind of out of nowhere, um, I can see how it might be popular amongst that crowd. Yeah, and it's worth noting, I just checked TCG player stock. There's only one near mint copy there for 19.99. So we could be seeing another instance, just like the foil prismatic omen I mentioned earlier that I have, where there's only one near mint copy on the market. So that is setting the price. So who knows what the number actually is? Worth noting that there's a ton of moderately played copies in and around five or six dollars. Um, usually, yeah. a, usually a strong signal um, that speculation is at, in, at play when the near mints all evaporate, but lower uh, quality co uh, copies are available in quantity. Correct. Okay, let's head over to segment two. This is our cards to watch. Uh, James, you've got one more than I do this week, so I'm going to let you go ahead and start. 
Yeah, pretty much all of my picks this week are related to um, green-red ramp decks in Modern that look like they uh, will indeed uh, maintain a place in the metagame moving forward. Um, both green-red uh, Tron ramp strategies and green-red Eldrazi showed up um, at notable tournaments this weekend, and it has me thinking um, that uh, these cards are worthwhile targets for the mid to long term. Uh, so the first pick uh, is Worldbreaker, the mythic rare out of Oath of the Gatewatch, which was, of course, part of various Eldrazi stan- uh, standard and modern strategies over the last few months, but has largely um, fallen by the wayside as people have assumed that Eldrazi were going to be down for the count without their beloved Eye of Ugin to power them. Um, as it turns out, a, a, a very uh, reasonable green-red Eldrazi list um, placed top 16 at the uh, Modern Open this weekend, running four Endless One, four Matter Reshaper, four Reality Smasher, four Thought Not Seer, and three World Breaker, alongside Talisman of Impulse, Dismember, four Kozilek's Return, four Lightning Bolt, and four Ancient Stirrings. So this is uh, you not not a, a, a typical Tron build. It wasn't running any of the Tron lands, so it's definitely a distinct archetype that has now been you know uh, achieved proof of concept, and I'm sure will re- continue to be refined. Um, and you know a modern playable mythic is not going to hold a sub ten dollar price tag uh, forever. So getting in on these at around seven seven or eight dollars, um, I think, gives you an opportunity to exit on them above fifteen you know, a year or two down the road for a 100% plus game. I really like your strategy overall this week. Uh, you know, you and I have been talking about since before the band list that we knew Eldrazi would go, but we didn't know what would happen to it afterwards. But there was a very real chance that it would continue to exist in modern in a different form. And it looks like we are seeing the seeds of that being planted with Green Red Eldrazi showing up, we'll mention this later, but it showed up both in the uh, Invitational and in the Classic alongside of it. It's showing up in Constructed League, so a lot of these cards sort of on the edges of uh, Eldrazi could be growing significantly in the near future as people realize, like, oh, I do still get to play these cards. Um, I I do like that. But uh, to move into my first pick, uh, my confidence level on this is only a 5. I am kind of shaky on this, but I thought I'd bring it to your guys' attention. Uh, this is a real short-term pick, as in, like, less than a month. I'm looking at Starfield of Nyx from Magic Origins. Uh, it's currently $2. You'll remember that Pyromancer's Goggles was around $2 before it showed up in the Blu-ray control lists in the first week of Standard. That jumped to 15 for a very brief time and has stabilized in the 8 to $10 range, or at least it did for a week or two. Uh, Starfield of Nyx is, again, right around that $2 range. I've been hearing rumblings of uh, enchantment decks showing up at the Pro Tour. Remember, Demonic Pact is still legal, which is an extremely powerful enchantment. And there's additional tools to answer your own enchantments. Things like Angelic Purge and uh, Anguished Unmaking are out there. So if we see an enchantment deck break out at the Pro Tour, uh, that's the perfect stage to drive prices on bulk priced mythics, which is exactly what Starfield of Nyx and, to an extent, so, uh, Demonic Pact would be as well. Now, this is Magic Origins, and Origins and Dragons of Tarkir I'm a little uncomfortable with because of uh, they're the next sets on the chopping block for this fall. Uh, you can also look at Opalescence, which is a reserveless rare that does something pretty similar to Starfield, and that price is still in the 3 to $4 range, so there's not a tremendous amount of casual support. Um, but at the same time, we did see this 5-0 on a constructed list, and there's a blue, uh, white-red list floating around, too, that did pretty well. So, uh, kind of a long shot, Starfield the next at $2, but I do think there is a chance we could see this push double digits if it shows up on camera on Friday. 
Demonic Pact has been making a move on Magic Online. It's uh, it's abundantly clear that that deck is at least being tested. I don't know if it's testing well, um, but I like this pick both because you know a two dollar Mythic um, that has a unique ability to interact with enchantments has casual chops long term. Um, you know, easily going to be a five or six dollar card down the road no matter what. Um, and if it breaks out at the tournament, all the better. So great pick. Thanks. All right, so next on my list is continuing with the green-red ramp uh, and Eldrazi strategies in modern. Talisman of Impulse foils um, have largely dried up um, in the 2 to $3 range. Um, uh, it hasn't shown up on our list yet because there are still SP and MP copies available, but almost all the near mint stuff is gone, um, and I expect that they will uh, reappear in the 6 to $8 range. So if you can poke around your local shops and pick any of these up or get them in trade at the at the currently exhibited pricing, um, I think you're going to be uh, in for a reasonable gain. Um, the other talismans, as I said earlier, um, the blue-white and the blue-black ones, have already made a move in the foils, uh, and I think there's very little reason to believe that if uh, the talisman of impulse foils are a part of ramp strategies in modern and green-red Eldrazi strategies in modern and that that continues... There's every reason to believe that uh, they'll be able to hold a price in the eight to twelve dollar range um, as long out of print uh, foil uncommons. I actually went and checked a hot TCG player when I saw this on your list because I was like, "Oh, I should get a set of those," but there weren't. There's one. I was like, "Oh, never mind." <laughs> yeah, you you can get SP, um, but near mint is essentially gone. Um, I picked up ten or fifteen copies on the weekend, so certainly I had a little to do with that, but. Um, there, there was a significant amount of volume moving, uh, changing hands. I think on the basis of this green red deck that was featured at, at the Star City tournament, um, people picked up on the fact that uh, the Eldrazi were back in play in those colors, uh, hence the movement. Yeah, and there was probably barely any copies that was out there in the first place, so not too surprising this would dry up real quick. Um, Okay, my second pick for the week. I've got a confidence level of 8 on this one. I really like this. This is a mid-to-long-term pick. It is Elish Norn Grand Cenobite from Modern Masters 2. Uh, you know, I was kind of wondering. I'm like, oh, what should I put on my list this week? I'm going to go check out those Gifts Ungiven lists to see what's in there. Maybe we missed something. And I saw Elish Norn, and I'm like, hmm, I'm going to go look this up. Right now, you can buy copies on TCG Player for, I think, about $14. You might even be able to score one or two copies under $14. Meanwhile, I think it's Strike Zone, which is a, which is a crummy buy list, I'll be honest. But I think they're paying like $13.50 on this. And Star City is $12.50. So we have an almost 0% spread on Modern Masters 2 Elish Norn right now. This card used to be over $35 at one point before it was reprinted. So I don't think it's unreasonable at all for this copy to creep up into the like low to high 20s, depending on what goes on with it. Um, it's seen a resurgence in play because Gifts Ungiven is really good again, or getting better. And when Gifts is good, the Elish Norn uh, on Burial Rights combo is good. And Elish Norn is also has just like top tier casual appeal, both in EDH and just normal 60 card decks. So, uh, you know, it's hard to shovel your money into a card at 15, 14 bucks a piece, but I would be holding copies and I would be uh, grabbing as many as I could in trade. Yeah, I think that's a solid, a solid play. I mean, the, it definitely needs to get some more camera time to burn through the 100, 150 copies that are available in both ver the, this and the new Phyrexia version online. Um, but it could definitely see some price movement if it continues to do well um, at the top tables. Yeah, and you know, it's not the type of card that's going to make you a ton of money because it spikes really hard, but it is a type of card you'll be glad that you found a stack of a year down the road. Yeah, I could see that. 
The um, So my final pick this week, folks, is uh, in continuing along the same theme. Um, Sanctum of Ugin has ended up as the replacement for um, decks that are uh, looking for a good colorless land to complement Eldrazi and ramp strategies. Um, it was run as a three of in Jacob Milichik's um, 13th place green red Eldrazi build at the Star City Games Classic. Um, and the foils are currently um, at $5. Um, a foil rare land that is played in multiples um, is not going to stay at $5 forever. I could easily see it topping 15, which would be a nice 200% gain a year or two down the road. Um, and potentially sooner if the deck uh, does really well in an important top eight. So I started to uh, acquire a bunch of these through uh, uh, Puka Trade this week um, with some solid success. Um, lots of people are happy to get rid of them and are underestimating the card. So both the foils and non-foils seem like reasonable targets at their respective prices. Uh, I do not dislike this. I do not dislike this. I was thinking about that myself a while ago, but thanks for bringing it to my attention. Cool. So let's uh, jump into our metagame week in review, our third segment of the week. Uh, we're, this week we're talking about the SEG Columbus Invitational, um, where uh, Travis White Weenie and Bant Coco decks abounded. Um, and were extremely dominant in the top eight with just a single blue-red control, uh, Pyromancer's Goggles uh, uh, shell uh, managing to squeeze its way into the top tables. Yeah, Standard uh, has gone from being boring because every deck was a million colors to being boring because every deck is like one color. <laughs> Just uh, white is so far and away the best color in the format. And unsurprisingly, the Reflector Mage Collected Company combo is just squashing things. So I think we're in a position, we're essentially, if there was no Pro Tour this weekend, we would be in a holding pattern for like two or three weeks while Standard tried to figure out what it was supposed to do. Um, hopefully the Pro Tour will shake things up a little bit. The only thing going on here that I think there might be some room for is Dragonlord Dromoka. Uh, that's come up as a option, uh, as a mirror breaker in some of the Bant lists, the, the collective company lists. Um, so I think that's an interesting card to keep an eye on. Uh, but they're like seven bucks, so it's not like you can go spec on this. Uh, just overall, not a lot interesting happening in standard for us at the moment. Uh, we'll see what new and exciting developments take place at the Pro Tour this weekend. I will be providing uh, weekend-long coverage for mtgprice.com on Pro Tour Shadows Over Innistrad. So if you want to... Uh, hear what's going on on the floor and get some insights into cards to be keeping your eye on throughout the weekend, do check in on mtgprice.com and via my Twitter at mtgcritic. Um, I'm more excited this week, though, Travis, about the uh, modern decks that showed up at the Classic. Obviously a smaller tournament, um, not necessarily representative of the broader metagame, but there was some really cool stuff. Um, Jim Davis highlighted on his SEG article today the W uh, white-black blink deck that was basically uh, like Eldrazi hate bears. It was running Tide Hello Scholars, Eldrazi Displacer, Flicker Wisp, Kitchen Finks, Leonin Arbiter, Four Thought Not Seer, and Four Wasteland Strangler alongside Four Thalia. And the only spells, therefore, were Four Ethervile and Path to Exile. Um, you know, the, the, the tournament was mixed in the Invitational, so I'm not sure what the exact record of the white-black deck was, but overall... Uh, it placed 44th, so you have to assume that it was a positive record, um, and it's certainly an interesting archetype to be looking at moving forward. Um, one of the other decks that caught my eye was the green-red Eldrazi deck that we mentioned earlier. There was also a Jeskai Thopter Foundry deck that placed 6th in the Modern Classic that was running um, you know, the Thopter-Sword combo alongside a bunch of Jeskai control cards like Ancestral Vision and Cryptic Command. 
Um, they were running a crucible of worlds to fool around um, with ghost quarters and an academy ruins, of course, to get back all of their various artifact pieces. They were also running a Gideon Jura and an Ajani Vengeant alongside four Snapcaster Mage and a Vendillion Click. Um, so that's a you know that's a new uh, take on Jeskai that hasn't uh, been seen um, a lot in modern uh, as of late. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if decks like this can continue to find a place. Um, the one last deck I wanted to draw people's attention to was a Mardu build that finished in eighth that was running uh, a, a similar a, kind of a, a Jund slash Junk kind of style, but in Mardu colors. Um, giving up, uh, obviously, some of the green cards for cards like um, Young Pyromancer. Uh, they were running Zealous Persecution's Main, uh, Lingering Souls, Painful Truth, um, Inquisition and Thoughtseize, um, Lightning Bolts and Lightning Helixes, alongside Path to Exile and Coligan's Command, um, with Monastery Mentors and Dark Confident. Um, I've been trying to make uh, drive home a mentor list for months in various configurations, so I'm excited to see somebody else um, trying to make it work in modern. Um, I'm convinced that once one of the, uh, a mentor deck makes a big top eight, um, we're going to see the card jump into the $40 range. So, um, you know, people get to work uh, on, on making the extremely uh, efficient token maker a thing, please. <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's a, there is a lot to unpack here. Uh, on the green-red, or uh, let's say on the white-black blink deck, um, I'm not surprised to see that, I should say, or at least some configuration of it. I've been kind of ringing the bell on a Drazi Displacer. Not the only one either, but, um, you know, I know I brought it up on this podcast several times that I think that the, the power level of that card is yet to be fully understood. So to see decks starting to pop up around that is not too surprising. I do think there's a bright future for that card. Uh, on the green-red Eldrazi list, you know, not only did we see... This build that you're pointing out from this classic, which was sort of the mid-rangier beat face with creatures build, we also saw a, uh, a green-red Tron Eldrazi hybrid show up over in the Invitational with a 7-1 record that was running uh, three World Breakers. So there's still a lot of crossover and, and strength in this in the Eldrazi core there, the Eldrazi Temple and some variety of the creatures. Uh, so, so I, I think that Thought Not Seers especially, you know, I don't think they're a pickup yet, but I will definitely be keeping an eye on them. Uh, the Thopter deck, again, a good a good understanding of where that archetype could come up. Uh, I think it's going to take some time before people figure out what the right builds are, uh, but there's definitely a lot of fertile ground in some of these decks. And we've seen so many cards react in price to Thopter Foundry already that uh, it'll be important to keep an eye on some of these other lists that show up because they may uncover some interesting cards that have been off of our radar that will prove to be uh, lucrative to get in on head-on. And, and finally, this Mardu list is awesome looking. Um, you know, you wouldn't really expect after Thopter Foundry and Ancestral Visions got unbanned that Mardu would be a great color combination, but there it is. And, you know, I'm right there with you. I really like Monastery Mentor. It's a very powerful card. I've liked this since it was spoiled. Surprise, it's as cheap as it is now. So, uh, definitely a lot of a lot of options out there in modern right now. Very unex feels very unexplored at the moment, both from debt construction and financial opportunities. Yeah, ag agreed. I mean, th th let's put it this way: the modern metagame has not settled. Um, there are some very clear contenders for top deck, um, but it's going to take another month or two, especially since we've largely moved out of modern season, um, to see how this shakes out. Yeah, it could be a while before we really figure out what's going on in that format. Agreed. 
All right, folks. So for segment four, our uh, topic of the week, uh, Travis uh, wrote a pretty sweet article this week about all the places that you can uh, buy and sell magic cards, um, and he's going to walk us through it. So Travis, why don't you hit us with the knowledge? Sure, James. Uh, yeah, for segment four this week, we're going to talk about some of the various places to buy and sell magic cards, uh, which I wrote about this week over on MTG Price and. Uh, among other things, I talked about some of the resources that you have available to you to out your cards. So these are things like eBay, TCG Player, uh, your Facebook communities, um, and Pukatrade were the four that I hit on specifically. Yeah, so Travis, that sounds like a really good place to start. Um, why don't you break down the fundamentals for everybody for each of those platforms? Like, what do they cost? Um, how easy are they to use? Uh, what are the pros and cons? Yeah, I was, uh, I'm going to pretend that I timed this to coincide with all of you needing to sell your Pro Tour specs and uh, assure you that it wasn't mere coincidence. Uh, but the general idea was intended to be a fairly comprehensive guide um, on how to choose where to sell your card, how to pack it, and how to ship it, uh, which are all things that people who, who do any reasonable amount of selling of Magic cards will need to be aware of. It, you know, that's a very... Um, unsexy part of this hobby is actually getting rid of the cards once you have them. Um, so having the knowledge of how to do that efficiently doesn't necessarily, you don't see that discussed too much as much as you see hot, hot uh, spec picks and things of that nature, but you still need to know how to do it. Uh, so one thing we can talk about here today is, is the four different uh, ways that I identified as common venues for selling your cards, although I'm sure there are more out there. Um, I, I don't profess to be a, an exhaustive expert by any means, but the four I identified were eBay, Pukatrade, uh, Facebook groups, and TCG Player. Facebook, and, Facebook groups and selling locally, uh, perhaps via Twitter, things of that nature, are going to be essentially your best profit margin. So uh, if you can imagine you have a copy of Avacyn, the absolute best you can deal with it, do with it, is get somebody locally to just hand you the cash for it. Uh, especially if your local shops are out, you basically get to charge SCG prices. There's no fees. There's no shipping on something like that. So that's great. But it's really hard to connect to enough buyers. That's uh, So if you have one or two cards, it's great to go through these local channels like your Facebook groups. Um, but once you start to get a real volume of cards or you have a lot of copies of one card, that that avenue dries up pretty quickly, becomes far too time consuming. So if you have a very small number of cards, I like to go with Facebook groups. Uh, but beyond that, you kind of have to start looking elsewhere. Uh, if you're looking for other great returns that don't really charge you a lot of a fee, um, I think Pukatrade is actually a great way to get rid of your cards. Now, the caveat here is that you only get magic cards in return, of course, uh, but it does give you a way to get rid of your cards that you picked up, such as some of your spec picks, um, at basically full value. And this is really helpful when you get specs that might, you know, maybe you paid $3 for a card and now it's $6. Uh, selling those $6 cards, you might only end up making a dollar or a dollar fifty a copy. If you've only got a handful of them, that's really not that much money overall that you've made. But you can trade them away on Puka Trade, which gives you that full $6 value. Um, so it's a little easier to realize your profit on some of those cards. Um, but again, the caveat to using Puka Trade is it's magic cards in, magic cards out. Um, there's eBay as well. I, I tend to stay away from eBay quite a bit. I think most people avoid eBay as well at this point if they do any serious selling. Uh, you, there's a lot of unscrupulous buyers. There's a lot of uh, risk in that regard. You have to track everything. Um, 
you know, it doesn't hurt to just toss some cards up on there, especially some of the more unique cards in your collection, because there might not be any other copies out there, and you might be able to catch somebody. So, you know, if you've got a foil Japanese art into play, uh, there aren't going to be that many buyers out there for that, but there are definitely going to be very few sellers on eBay too. So you can stick it on there and hope you get paid. Uh, and if not, you can continue to try and sell elsewhere too. So, um, you know, eBay is not, is not a, a venue that I use very frequently, uh, and nor do I think many people do, but I just wanted to highlight it as an option. Um, one thing I, I forgot to mention the top, at the top here was uh, buy listing is also an extremely valuable way to get rid of your cards. Uh, this is one of the most common venues that people use, especially the high volume guys. So, uh, you know, if you watch Twitter, we're talking about people like Ryan Bouchard, uh, Cripple Command over on Brainstorm Brewery and some of those other fellows um, who do way more volume and inventory than I do, and especially a lot of smaller cards. So if you have a lot of small value cards, uh, buy listing is an excellent way to go. Um, and in terms of money that you get in return versus the amount of effort you have to put into it, it's hard to beat buy listing. Uh, and then finally, there is TCG Player, which is what I lean on the most. And I think uh, I think a lot of people use this, are coming to use this as well. Is it, it tends to be a pretty good middle ground for um, the amount of effort you put in reaching an audience and getting good value out of your cards. You get to sell them for cash. You get to sell them at market value, essentially, TCG Low, which um, is market value-ish. Uh, you know, it's going to be lower than Star City or some of the other major vendors, but it's still typically better than buy lists. Um, you do pay a, a fee there. You pay 11% plus 50% per card. So selling smaller value cards is generally not worth it. Uh, a 50 cent flat tax on every card you sell means that a 45 cent card is you're in the hole if you try and sell it that way. So, you know, I don't even list anything unless it's basically four or five dollars or more. But um, if you are sort of a mid-range uh, seller and buyer, like I would consider myself or James to be, I think you're going to have very good returns with TCG Player. It lets you sell any type of card. It gets you right to your audience. The fees aren't too bad. Uh, and the amount of work is generally not uh, is is on the better side for reward than you might find uh, through like selling on Facebook. Sure. So that was a pretty comprehensive uh, overview. Um, a few little points from my own uh, experiences with these matters. Um, that yeah, please, to... please. I'd be really curious to hear what other people have to think about this. Yeah, just, you know, just a few things that, that leap to mind that have been helpful tips we've spread around in the past. Um, I think one of the things that you touched on there was, uh, you know, the time value of money. This is one of the things that people constantly underestimate. Um, you know, a hobby is a hobby. When you're spending time and money to play Magic the Gathering for fun, whatever you spend on that time-wise, whatever you spend on that, you know, out of your wallet, that's your choice. That's that's your disposable income and your your leisure time and, and how you choose to support it is really up to you. Um, it's worth whatever you say it is. But once you decide you want to make money on it and you're turning it into a, a, you know, a small business or at least uh, an experimental investment, um, you need to start thinking about the value of your time. Because if you were to, say, go buy a collection out on the market that's worth $1,000 retail and you pay 800 for it and you end up spending 20 or 30 hours on it and at work you make $20 an hour, well, you're down like $600. Because when all is said and done, you're only clearing two, but you spent 30 hours, your time's at $20 an hour, that's 600 bucks. So, you know, you're making basically nothing. Um, and, you know, that's an extreme example, but there are a lot of cases like this where people will, you know, spend way too much time worrying about whether the six copies of a dollar card uh, they bought 
um, are, you know, how, how do I sell that? And now that it's doubled and I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing a double up and I'm gone from a dollar to two dollars. How am I going to get out? How am I going to get out? And they're going to scour the internet and strike up conversations and visit message boards and put up ads and throw it up on Facebook and eBay and, and Kijiji. And I'm sitting there thinking like, you're doing all this for $6 and it's $6 minus whatever fees and time you're going to spend on that. And it just doesn't make any sense. So it's important to, to realize that at a certain point, you just have to cut your losses. Um, at a certain point, you need to achieve disinterest. Um, and you need to understand um, that moving in and out on, you know, say a single copy of a foil J Sprint's Prodigy may be a much better option for you if you are short on time uh, and, and long on funds rather than, say, investing, you know, in 30 different penny specs. Um, because the amount of time you're going to spend to process and handle all of that is is well worth considering when you are trying to figure out what your actual profits were. Now, when it comes to the specific platforms, one of the things I've found with the local groups is that often um, you're going to find people that um, lowball you. In Toronto, it's very common for people to request pricing that is Star City Games uh, equivalent. And this is when, you know, the U.S. dollar to the Canadian dollar, um, the Canadian dollar is about $1.30 to the U.S., so, you know, people are basically expecting a 30% discount um, versus SCG. So some are, you know, equivalent to about a 15 to 20% discount versus, say, TCG near mid low. Um, and one of the other things that can be annoying locally is that people want to meet up in person. You know, some guy wants you to come drop off, drop off a copy of Avison across town at a subway platform at 5 p.m. on a Tuesday, and you make the time on the way to go meet your friends, and you stand around for 20 minutes while the guy doesn't show up. Um so these are all little things that can be can contribute um, to uh, holding back your profits um, in in local groups and so forth. But I all in all, I've had pretty good experiences on Facebook. It can be a great place to unload cards, especially high end cards. Um, currently negotiating the sale of Mishra's Workshop that I picked up on Puka Trade, um, and it looks like the you know the the value that I'll get out of using that platform is going to be excellent in that case. Um, when we're talking about things like eBay and TCG Player, it's important to realize that, you know, you broke down the free fee structure for TCG for eBay, the platform between PayPal fees and the, you know, constantly revised eBay fee structure, um, where they essentially attempt to hide the fees from you, um, like six clicks down from your profile page. Um, still works out to about 13% on average, at least for Magic Cards, somewhere between you know, 10 and 14, depending on what exactly is going on um, and how your shipping is structured and so forth, whether you you are participating in their international shipping program. Uh, there's a whole bunch of little things to consider. But the fees aren't terrible if they give you, you know, quick and immediate access to sales. One of the things I've done with eBay in the past, and I'm, I'm actually a, a fairly big proponent of using eBay. I've had nothing but good experiences uh, on the whole. Um, and I think their free structure is fair for, for what it offers. Um, you know, I'll take a bunch of pictures of some stuff I want to sell on my cell phone quickly at home as I'm running out the door. And then as I'm traveling to a meeting or I'm going city to city or something on business, I can just, you know, log into eBay really quick on uh, on the app on my on my iPhone and throw up, throw up a couple of buy it nows. Um, one of the things I really like about that is that the interface is much more streamlined in the app world than it is on the Internet. And it takes, you know, a mere minute or two to get a listing up. Um, you know, as you said, there can be a lot of competition on eBay and it really works out best when you are, you know, the last man standing holding a product that 
uh, is suddenly facing really low supply. That certainly worked for me this year, trying to unload boxes of Japanese Modern Masters uh, 2015. Um, you know, got to the point where there was basically none of those around anywhere. And now I can, you know, basically name my price and I do. Um, Puka Trade, I've, you know, I've written a series of articles detailing my adventures there. And on the whole, um, I think the platform has tremendous value. Um, and that in, I hope that they hurry up and complete the next round of uh, evolutionary changes for the site that fix some of the problems that they've had uh, in the first couple of years of operation. Um, of course, as you said, of course, there are no fees, but, um, you know, as you also outlined, um, you're basically trading cards for cards. It's a trading platform. So you need to have a strategy as to what you're planning on doing. You know, it works out best if you're just trying to fill out decks for standard or modern or legacy or, you know, commander or whatever, and you've got some cards lying around and you want to turn them into the cards that you actually need. That's where Puka Trade is, you know, cannot be beat. That's exactly what it's been set up for. It works perfectly. Um, in that scenario. And, you know, there are the occasional scam artists on all of these platforms, but the Puka Trade community on the whole has been, you know, astonishingly friendly and, uh, you know, team oriented in terms of making it a good experience for everybody in my, you know, in, in, at least my, in my travels on the platform. Um, one of the, one of the two strategies I've used is to trade up um, and out so basically, if I have something like foil collected companies that I bought in on at 10 last spring um, and they're sitting in the mid-30s, you can relatively easily trade those out at full value, sometimes even get a bonus if somebody's really hyper for them. You know, bonuses between 5 and 10, 5 and 15 percent um, are about average. And then you can use those, those you know, Puka Point funds to then uh, trade up into something like depressed Eye of Ugin foil expeditions or something. Um, uh, in my case, I was lucky enough to trade up into a foreign black border volcanic island uh, in near mint condition, Amisha's workshop, a bazaar of Baghdad. And if I'm not mistaken, before I did all that, you picked up a, a foil, uh, a judge foil Elish Norn uh, with that sexy Phyrexian script. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Um, so it's certainly doable. One of the things that I would say to people that are trying to make Puka Trade work for them is that you really need to make sure that you... Um, network. You need to be reaching out to other people on the platform, letting people know on social media and in message boards that you're active on there, share your list, share swap profiles, start to put together, you know, a little bit of a quote-unquote mailing list of folks that you can reach out to if you're trying to get something, an order filled, because, um, you know, the, the platform uh, can only connect a want with a have. And if it hasn't been expressed in in that way in the platform, it doesn't mean the inventory doesn't exist. It just means somebody hasn't gotten around to adding it. For instance, I have about, you know, 20,000 uh, or so worth of cards on my have list on Puka Trade, but that's a, you know, a drop in the bucket versus my full collection because I couldn't possibly uh, begin to find the time to list everything that's sitting in closets and under beds in my home. Um, so, you know, that networking will really help to unlock some of the kind of secret inventory that isn't out in front of you. Uh, that's, that's a very good point. I actually don't have any cards listed on my have list right. on Poker Trade at the moment either. Um, you, you hit on and three things I want to touch, I want to mention real quick is the first is that using eBay to sell non near mint cards is a very good idea. Um, be much preferable to some of the other venues because you can just take photos and say, Hey, uh, this is what it looks like. You can, I, this is what it is. And then here's the price, take it or leave it. Um, so it helps you get away, get out of some stuff that's 
you know, kind of maybe between lightly played and near mint. You couldn't sell as near mint on TCG player, but you want to get close to the full value. Um, it's good for that. And then, and the the larger idea there that, uh, and which we have come back to time and time again is that uh, if you let this turn into a job, you will probably find that it is not necessarily worth your time. And you really have to consider the amount of time you're putting into it to decide whether it is worth it. Um, and I think once you start to scale up quite a bit, you'll find that it might not be. Uh, and I think it's it's part of what James and I do is whenever we're looking at a spec, we sort of intuitively consider uh, what are we going to do with it if it does move, if it doesn't move, and how much time will it take us to deal with this, um, which might which might make us more interested in some cards than than, than others. You know, Zulaport Cutthroat would have been probably a good pickup at at twenty five cents, but if we're looking at that and going, okay, well that's going to hit two dollars, even if that in- increases by eight x, you know, what do I have to go through to get rid of these things? And it's like, eh, I don't really want to, that's going to take enough time and be enough of a hassle that it's not even worth me getting into at the moment. So um, considering your time investment on things is, is crucial. Yeah. I mean, being, you want to be ahead of the pack. Um, going into the Pro Tour weekend, if you were testing um, with imagination and meaning that, you know, you were using the various um, outlets available to you to throw together you know, random playtest decks just to see if something could be made to work. You were almost certainly far, far ahead of the curve of everybody else who had just assumed that banned company shells were going to be where it's at. Um, so uh, there is value in being a good Magic player that will translate into being good at Magic Finance for sure. Um, because if you don't know the game well, you're highly unlikely to make money um, in the finance side of the hobby. And, you know... People ask me sometimes, what's you know, what's the best spec? And I say the best spec is the thing that you can figure out in five minutes, hold a single copy of for a year, and unload for double. Um, <laughs> work back from there. <laughs> when when you're considering trying to pick up, you know, obscure reserve list commons for fifty cents or something, hoping to out them at two dollars, and you're going to invest a whopping twelve dollars into that. Ask yourself if you shouldn't just stay an hour later at work and make the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we've been talking about this for quite a while now, uh, so we should probably let people go. Um, James, where can our loyal listeners find you? Well, if you guys want to hit us up um, on the interwebs to ask us any questions about the cast today or to follow our articles, you can find us on mtgprice.com. On Twitter, you can find me at mtgcritic. And uh, via my regular uh, articles that appear on mtgprice, um, usually towards the weekend. And I am uh, I write every Wednesday on MTG Price, and you can find me on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. And I also do the Cartel Aristocrats video cast that shows up roughly weekly. Um, so, James, I had, we had another great episode, and uh, next week I'm looking forward to talking about the Pro Tour. And we'll see you guys all again next week on MTG Fast Lines. <laughs>